If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church, Sonora, California. We welcome you to our Sunday morning worship services under the leadership of Pastor David Bush. Stay tuned following today's program for more information about Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Here now is today's message from Pastor Bush. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 3 through 10 as we are on part 7 now of Unmasking Tyranny. Paul is writing to Timothy there in Ephesus, and he says to him, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and uh, evil suspicion, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But with those who want to get rich, fall into a temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. May God add his blessing to the preaching of the word today. Um, I, I, for any of you who may be like me that have a little bit of gray on the top of the head, uh, have known for many decades now that uh, oftentimes uh, those most popular ministries, the, the, the TV evangelists with these multi-million dollar budgets are often the ministries that are the most unreliable. They're the ones that are uh, marked by scandal, uh, infidelity, uh, financial uh, scheming, and so forth. Uh, And uh, so our headlines have been uh, marked uh, oftentimes by uh, these charlatan preachers on the TV. And uh, I believe the Bible has much to say uh, with respect to these charlatans and how they operate. And today I want to be addressing just one point about tyranny in the church specifically, and that is a tyranny that comes uh, from tyrants who use religion as a means to make money. Sort of a financial incentive of evangelists. And it starts because these men uh, and women uh, fail to see something of what Christ has warned young Timothy of as a young preacher, where he says in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Uh, That was the warning. Now, oftentimes, young Christians will simply misquote that and say that money is the root of all sorts of evil. 
And it's not actually the money that is at the root of evil. It is the love of money. So one, that warning is not heeded. And secondly, there is a principle that that Paul does give, that godliness actually is a means of great gain when it is accompanied by contentment. Uh, This is uh, one of those... Puritan paperbacks, uh, the rare jewel of Christian contentment is on the shelf back there. It's a rich little book uh, on the idea of being content with what we have. And I want to start by saying, you know, being rich is not a crime in and of itself. And neither is being rich a virtue in and of itself. There are plenty of righteous men in Scripture that are rich and were able to maintain godliness. David, Abraham, Noah, Josiah, Hezekiah, and the list goes on, of righteous men who are quite wealthy. We also know that there were plenty in Scripture who were scoundrels and had great wealth. Ahab, Nabal, Laban, and the list could go on. And so, having money in and of itself is not good or evil, and being poor in and of itself is neither a crime nor a virtue. We have the example of the poor widow who gives her might, who is marked as a virtuous woman, and Lazarus eating at the crumbs of the rich man's table, who is the one who goes into heaven justified. And on the other hand... We might think of the number of pedophiles in our own day who are robed in clerical gowns, who've taken vows of poverty and are scoundrels. And so my focus today is going to be upon wealthy TV evangelists. But I want you to understand clearly, I'm not going to be critical of these guys because they have wealth, not merely because they have wealth, but I am going to be critical of those who are wealthy, of how they gain their wealth. That's my criticism. I wish all of God's people were so wealthy you didn't have to worry about money that you could bless the kingdom and bless ministries, bless orphanages and and the poor in ways that would be great. I would love that for everybody. But you know what? It's not that you have money or that you don't have money that counts. It's the virtue of a godly character. And I'm going to take the apostolic example in my method today, It won't be politically correct, (laughs) I can guarantee you that, Um, but I am going to name names. Uh, I've been criticized of doing this, but I want to prepare you that I do not believe I'm violating Scripture at this point, 1 Timothy 1, verse 18 and following, where Paul says, I command and entrust you, Timothy, my son. In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith.
That's the warning that Paul is starting off this epistle, or his letter with. And the next verse is, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they would be taught not to blaspheme. In his second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 10, Paul marks out Demas by name as having loved this present world and deserted Paul and went to Thessalonica. He mentions there as well Crescens, who's gone to Galatia, and Titus, who's gone to Dalmatia. And we can only presume that they too have defected from the faith. In verse 14 of that same chapter, he mentions Alexander the coppersmith, who did him much harm, and that the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And so the apostle mentions these scoundrels, these defectors of the faith by name. And so I want you to be aware, today I have in the crosshairs a people, a a group called the Word of Faith Movement that I believe is doing much damage in the church. Men like Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Jan and Paul Crouch, and that whole host of TV evangelists that are making a mint, fleecing their flocks in what I'm calling an ecclesiastical tyranny, if not a heretical tyranny. And I want you to be aware of three teachings, particularly in this group, that you need to be aware of, and how they fleece their flock for vast sums of money. And the first is this. They have what I'm calling a sow a seed of faith theology, which they pick up from Matthew chapter 13, verse 8, which is the parable of the sower and the four soils. And there that that soil... uh, produces from the seed cast upon it some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And so the way this works is the idea of the TV preachers typically will, will say, if you give X amount of money, God is going to return to you thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. You're going to get this hundredfold blessing if you just give to the church money That is, beyond your means, you just give these sums in faith, and you're going to get rich. And so if you're not a millionaire, you do not have enough faith. And so these preachers will typically surround themselves with, you know, all sorts of private jets, yachts, uh, fancy suits, the cars, and the whole the whole glamour of of a wealthy lifestyle, lavish homes, as an expression to the congregation, see how God is blessing me because I have so much money. And so the unsuspecting get taken in by that, wanting that kind of lifestyle. They desire to have that. And so they give their money. And when they become poor, when they are unable to make their, their 
ends meet because they've given beyond their means. When those promises of wealth do not come true, these charlatans come and add insult to injury. And they blame them for not having the kind of faith that they need to reap the kind of financial blessings that God certainly has for them. That's just factually not true. That is a lie. That is the kind of tyranny that enslaves the people into a false guilt, thinking they do not have true biblical faith. And not only that, but it is blasphemous in that it makes God out to be making certain kinds of promises that he never gave. And it makes him look like he's stingy when these people suffer the financial collapse of their whole, their whole life. The reality is that most of these people, perhaps new in the faith or have never actually heard the true gospel, lack discernment. They lack trust. It's not that they lack faith. These charlatan evangelists, these TV preachers, are fleecing their congregations of their hard-earned money. And I believe they are guilty of the words of the Apostle Paul here when he says that they advocate a different doctrine, that they do not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, that these TV evangelists are men of depraved minds, deprived of the truth, and they suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. And they are tyrants. Ecclesiastical, heretical tyrants. Now I would say, and I've said this on, on occasion before, there is a good side to this. If these kinds of people were not in the world today, we would have reason to doubt God's word. Because God's word tells us these people will be in the church. And so when we see them, we must mark them out and be aware that God warned us through the apostle that these kinds of people would be here. And so in a sense, we can trust God's word because these charlatans are here. The second way they tyrannize people is through what I'm calling a deification of man theology. This teaching is that they believe that man can become God. And they do this either uh, um, purposely and by express teachings or by implication from their teachings. Uh, There's a website called uh, Got Questions, who I thought put it well, just a quick summary of the word of faith movement and, and what is at issue with regard to this. And so I quote that website. At the heart of the word of faith movement is the belief in the, quote, force of faith, end quote. It is believed words can be used to manipulate the faith force, and thus actually create what they believe Scripture promises, health and wealth. Laws supposedly governing the faith force are said to operate independently of God's sovereign will, and that God himself is subject to these laws. 
This is nothing short of idolatry, turning our faith and, by extension, ourselves into gods. Morris Cirillo famously said in his sermon entitled, The End-Time Manifestation of the Sons of God, quote, Did you know that from the beginning of time the whole purpose of God was to reproduce himself? Who are you? Come on. Who are you? Come on, say it. Sons of God. Say it. Come on, say it. And what does work inside us, brother? Is the manifestation of the expression of all that God is and all God has. And when we stand up here, brother, you're not looking at Morris Cirillo. You're looking at God. You're looking at Jesus. You might think of this theology and how it is in the New Age movement. It's not a Christian teaching. It's prominent in New Age philosophy. Shirley MacLaine in her famous Out on a Limb movie some years ago, some decades ago now, (laughs) I don't recall the actual year, but remember where she's on the beach and she's listening to her spiritual advisor who, who says to this, says this to her, say the kingdom of God is within me. That sounds biblical, doesn't it? Say the kingdom of God is within me. I says, no, no better. Say, I am, I and God are one. And then, well, no, 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 even better. Say, I am God. And then she goes out and puts her arms out in that famous scene. I am God. I am God. I am God. I am God. It's like, <laughs> crazy. So this is new age. This is not Christian we see this, you know, we, we remember during the Branch Davidian issue where David Koresh's claim to be a reincarnation of Jesus Christ went over and over again that he claimed to be God, claimed to be Jesus. Jim Jones in a similar way down in Guyana, obviously a, a heretic and, and claimed to be a reincarnation of Jesus. That led to a cyanide laced Kool-Aid drinking that led to several hundred people dying at once. And all of these, all of these views are heretical. They miss something that is so fundamental to the Christian faith. And it is a distortion of what Van Til called the creator-creature distinction which is key for us to understand, that our creator is an eternal, self-existing, sovereign creator. He is independent of all other being. He is the supreme being, which means that as a created being, I can never be the creator, ever, And so there's no way I could be God. There's no way I can be supreme being. Because no matter how long time goes on, my being has always been dependent upon the one who brought me into existence. And so I will never be supreme. My being is not independent. 
Only God is. And so you can, you can speculate on what sort of knowledge we'll have when we die. Will we have infinite knowledge like God does? Even if we did, there would be a qualitative difference, as I think uh, Van Tilligan pointed out. We're still the creature. And we will understand from a creaturely perspective, not from an infinite mind. And so the man, a created being, can never, ever, ever, ever be God. This is just impossible. They miss that. But you know who had that kind of mentality? It was the devil himself. This is what the children understand. Remember, he tempted the first parents that, that they would be like God. And that he aspired to be like the Most High. And so... Uh, this, this idea that you shall ascend to deity is, is a lie from the pit of hell. Man, we do believe, is the image of God. We do bear an aspect of similarity. We have characteristics and a nature that does reflect our creator, but we can never be that creator. And so this is a tyranny that feeds upon the power, hungriness of man. That is one of the things we seek after. And then the third area that I wanted to focus upon as we close is what I'm calling a health and happiness theology, or the health, wealth, and prosperity, as we as sometimes hear it said. And the idea is here, in terms of the health aspect, that Christ came into this world to save us from our, sin, uh, from our sicknesses, and there are two texts typically used in this argument. One is Isaiah 53, 5, where we read that he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, or by his stripes, we are healed. And that would be the one text that they argue. See, by his stripes we have a healing in the atonement, that we, we should no longer be sick. They'll sometimes cite Galatians 3.13, where we read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for, it, for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And then they'll connect that to Deuteronomy 28, the law, where sickness is treated as a part of the curse. And what are we to think of this kind of theology? Is there a test that we can give to, to examine its claims? And I would say there is. And you know what that is. Go back to the Word. Scour through the Word of God and say, does this actually fit? And you will soon see what a lie this is. The Apostle Paul, a chapter beyond the 3.13 that they cite admits in verse 13 of chapter 4 that it was a bodily illness that brought him to the Galatian church in the first place. And so how far do you have to read in the, the very letter that you're citing from for this? Uh, we could dismiss with it immediately on that basis. A righteous man who had a bodily illness we know how he told the church at Corinth that he had a thorn in his flesh that God would not remove. 
We remember how he instructs young Timothy for his often recurring stomach illnesses to take some wine for his stomach, 1 Timothy 5.23. We can see Elijah who died as a sick man in 2 Kings 13.14. Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus in 2 Timothy 4.20. Epaphroditus nearly died of an illness in Philippians 2, 25 to 30. Righteous Hezekiah, remember how he almost died and then God gave him grace and granted him an extra 15 years, but a clearly a righteous man who was on the verge of death because of an illness, 2 Kings 20, verse 1. And over and over and over again, we can see righteous people sometimes suffer illness. But no, this theology has become a tool of tyranny where the faith teachers who believe that the healing that Christ gave in the atonement by his stripes is that of physical sickness when we know that that is not actually the case. And so they tell people, if you have cancer, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you have sickness, it's because you must be sinning. And typically the sin is, maybe you just didn't give enough money to the church. And maybe you need to give more. And so they fleece the flock through that sort of angle. And often what happens, sadly is that the unsuspecting congregation, oftentimes, based upon that kind of preaching, fail to get the kind of medical attention they need. And people die. People get worse because they will not get the attention from medical professionals that they need because these charlatans have duped them into this kind of thinking. The gospel is that Christ did come to heal us. But the healing is that we each are infected with a sickness. It is called sin. And the healing that is in the atonement is that Christ has come to earn the favor of God the Father to satisfy the demands that the law had upon us to live a perfect life, to honor God with every moment he entrusted to us in life, to use every energy that we are provided by grace to spend it honoring God. And when we fall short of that, Christ came to heal us from that sickness. That's what he came to heal us from. Not from sickness. Not from COVID. Not from cancer. Not from any of these other sicknesses. And so, I believe this is an ecclesiastical tyranny that we are to look at, to evaluate, to test these things. And again, I remind you that the twofold, the twofold ministerial task that Paul gave to Timothy uh, or to Titus 
is that we are to teach in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. And so if this is distasteful, (laughs) to critically examine this, I believe I am morally bound by the word of God to expose this. And I hope this will serve you in the future. We pray. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do pray for these TV evangelists. We pray that there would be some humility, that there would be a piercing through, and that the love of money might be quelled, that there would be a greater love for your truth, for your honor, for your church, for your people. We pray that we would see the defection of those flocks that are right now under that tyranny, that they would be awakened and that they would once again go back to the scriptures to find that truth and to see that indeed you are lovely that there is a truth that resides outside of that particular camp. And so we pray that even this sermon would be used to that end. We ask your glory and the forgiveness of our own sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Foundations, the radio ministry of Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. Our church is located at the corner of Mono Way, Highway 108 and Peaceful Valley Road in East Sonora, California. The Church with the Crosses. Our weekly worship service begins at 9.45 a.m. We would be delighted to have you join us as we worship Almighty God, explore His Word, and fellowship in Christian love. If you would like a copy of today's message or more information about Oak Hill, please visit our website at oakhillopc.org.